I wonder how many of us today would say that we feel that the world is broken. We look around us and we see so much heartache, tragedy, devastation. There's natural disasters. There's places where people are starving or desperate for clean water. There are places where their war is raging, where people are being killed by the simple and senseless conquests of others, where people are uh, treated brutally in society, imprisoned in internment camps, where justice does not seem to prevail, where around our own country and in our own world there's so much pain and heartache. Where even in our own lives on a lesser scale we've had people who've hurt us or people we've hurt. Things that have caused offense to us or have been caused by us. Offenses that have come into the lives of others through what we have said or done or what have been said and done to us. Friendships that have been broken. Separations that have happened. I mean, in this life there have been tears shed by all of us probably because of things that we've experienced or things we've done. So when I say I wonder how many of us feel that the world is broken, I know I do. Because sin has caused so much havoc and so much damage, right? And I say sin, I mean my sin, your sin, our sin. Sin has caused so much havoc and so much damage and so much brokenness. It has brought suffering, it has brought separation, and it has brought death. And that is where the story of the gospel enters, and that's why it's such a big deal. The word gospel, if you've been around the church world a long time, you hear the word gospel thrown around so easily, but we don't stop to think of what that word even means. Word gospel, it means good news. It's good news. It's the good news that, that God stepped into our world and brought redemption for all mankind, that when Jesus was born, that famous uh, uh, thing we celebrate every year in the Christmas holidays, the virgin birth of Christ who was, lived a sinless life, God who was made flesh, Emmanuel who dwelt among us, walked in our shoes, served mankind, and then one day went to the cross. We just talked about that the last few days. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Good Friday was a couple days ago where Jesus went at the right time and, and as was prophesied for hundreds of years prior to then and was um, looked forward to, now we look back to the, the time when Jesus went to the cross and, and shed his blood and gave his life, not for his sins, he was perfect, he was God, but because he did it for us. He did it for our sins and our place, took our judgment, our brokenness, our sins on him. And then he rose again as we celebrate on Easter Sunday. But all that, that beautiful story, that beautiful story, and the, again, the reason we're even here at all, all that, that, that wonderful thought, did not just take place one day. Again, it was prophesied for centuries and centuries before it happened, and not just in, in, in uh, Israel, but all over the world. That's why when you think about that when Jesus was born, that, that from, uh, the wise men came from an eastern country to worship him because the word had spread that a Messiah was coming to represent God's love to the world and provide redemption, to bring good news. And the good news that Jesus died and rose again is really the simple good news that God is love. And it was prophesied for hundreds of years before it happened. 
It was foretold and looked ahead towards. It was said that uh, to the patriarch Abraham centuries earlier that it would be hit one of his descendants. It was told to his great-grandson Judah that out of his lineage, or out of his tribe, as they would call him, the tribes of their father Jacob, or Jacob's name became Israel, out of the tribes of Israel through their son Judah, the, the Messiah would be born. Hundreds of years later, David was the king of Israel, and it was told to him uh, through the prophet of God that one day that, that he would be the descendant of Judah who would be the, uh, the heir. Uh, his descendant would be, it would be his family tree. Think about a family tree. The, the term was used, the root of David. Think about the root of the tree. But uh, that, uh, that one day Jesus would be born in his lineage from David's family tree. Sure enough, it happened. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 tells us, but when the right time came, and I love that statement, when the right time came, after, after yes, hundreds of years, but the world had been shifting over those last many centuries. World empires became a thing. You had the Babylonian Empire in history and the Medes and the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. And under Rome, they built roads to all over the places that they ruled to have access points and travel. And at just the right spot in history, late enough to establish and yet early enough for us to look back on all this time. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. By slaves to the law, it means that we had not kept the law, therefore we were under its penalty. We were a part of a broken world to which we all have contributed. But God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And that's what, that's what was so significant when John the baptizer was doing the work of being a kind of a front runner to Jesus' arrival and the first time he, as he told everyone that the Messiah was here, it was time the Messiah had arrived. The day that he encountered Jesus, John the disciple, who recorded the story of one of, one of the stories of Jesus' life, wrote about John the baptizer first seeing the, the Messiah he was pointing to. And in John 1.29, John said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, the Lamb of God. And he, and he saw him as a lamb because that was a very sacrificial idea in their culture, that, that a lamb would be sacrificed as an, a moment of atonement, and that Jesus was that lamb who would atone for our sins, that he was the perfect spotless lamb as we saw, saw a couple days ago. He was examined, he was perfect, and he became our sacrifice for those of us who are not perfect. Took upon him our suffering, our judgment. He was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you were... Noticing the songs that we just sang since you've been here this morning, if you were noticing the words, a, a certain word kept coming up over and over again in our songs today. That, that word is worthy. Debbie talked to the kids a little bit about that word, worthy. It's a big idea. And we're going to sing a song after the message here about is he worthy, the choir. We have a choir who's going to help us sing that today. And it's wonderful. But here's the thing about it. The song that we're going to sing next, actually, keeping that theme going, the song is, is based about a lot of things that are spoken in the Bible, a lot of doctrinal terms that maybe you're not familiar with. But a lot of it takes place in the book of Revelations. The book of Revelations is the last book inside the Christian scriptures. 
And it's kind of a, a book of maybe more apocalyptic literature, we would say. There's other spots in the, in the scriptures that are that way, but Revelations is definitely end times, apocalyptic talk. It's, it's, it's John who wrote the verse on the screen. John, the disciple of Jesus, later in his life, after most of his compatriots were, were also killed for their faith, John, later in his life, while exiled to the Isle of Patmos, wrote some visions that God gave him as God gave him a, a, a calling up and, and showed him what would happen in the end. And he wrote these end times things down and, and these visions of the future, the Lord's return of heaven someday, of judgment. And early in that book of Revelations, John tells a story that he saw in this vision of what's going to happen someday that has not happened yet. And he was telling us what's coming the same way that people before Jesus came looked ahead through the prophecies to a day that the Messiah would come, and then he did. Now we look back at the Messiah coming. Well, now we look ahead to the end, the end of it all. And John is writing these visions of what will happen someday in the end. And in one particular story he writes in the book of Revelations, I want us to see it for a few minutes today. In Revelations 5 and verse 1, he begins by saying, Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. Now, the one sitting on the throne would be God, God the Father. He's sitting on the throne, and he has a scroll in his right hand. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, I want to pause and just take a minute to talk about the scroll. If you were to read the chapters that take place, again, this is prophetic future. This is the end of it all. If you read the, what happens in the chapters to follow as those seals get broken and that scroll gets opened, you'll see that, that uh, judgment is executed as the seals are broken and the scroll is opened. It's a, it's a time of judgment. And when we think of judgment, we often think of negativity because judgment is all harsh and bad. And, and judgment can definitely be very harsh against evil, right? We want that. But judgment is also very powerful and good. When you've been mistreated, we love judgment. We want someone to step in and make things right. That's what judgment is. Judgment is somebody stepping in to make things right. And, and to where I've done wrong, if you and I are not evil people, we know that when we've done wrong and we carry guilt from the things that we've done, Having, that, having to face the music for that and make it right, we may not want to do it, but when, we, when it happens, we always feel relieved because we know it needed to be made right. It's a relief to that. Judgment's relieving to those who want to be right. And when you've been wronged before, judgment is beautiful because it's making all things right. And of course, if you're just set on evil, well, judgment might not be so pleasant. But judgment is making things right. And any scroll is the judgments that are going to set things right. Sealed with seven seals. Now this is a very interesting idea because in ancient times, and again, John is looking with his understanding. 2,000 years ago, the world that's different, they didn't have, you know, computers and passwords and to get into the, to the mainframe. You know, you have a scroll and you would, you would seal it. And no one was allowed, to, boy, if you broke the seal and you weren't supposed to, that was a big deal. Maybe it was written to a king and only the king could break the seal to read the scroll. It made sure that, that no one got into it early. Or maybe you were carrying a message from the king and it was sealed to only be opened by the right person. And if you did not have the authority, if you did not have the authority to open or break that seal, then you would be in violation so you couldn't do it. Only the person who was granted the right, who was given the authority or who was worthy could break the seal. And this scroll had seven seals on it. Who is worthy to break these seals to open the scroll? Who's worthy to do that? 
who has the authority. And so God the Father is holding it, and, and he's holding it in his hand. In verse number two, it says, And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice. He said, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? Who's worthy? Who's, who has the authority, the right to do so? Verse three says, But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. When it says able, it, it may or may not mean physically able. I think there's a bigger significance. Maybe it means they physically couldn't because they were not worthy. Kind of like Thor's hammer. You know, you can't, only the worthy person can lift it. Right? I don't know. But uh, I think that the bigger idea of worth here is that they, they, couldn't, they were not able to open it because they didn't have the right to open it. They, had not, they could not go to the throne and take it from the hand of God and say, I have the right to do this. They were not able. No one was able to open the scroll of judgments. No one was able to make things right in the end, once and for all. John says in verse 4, he says, Then I began to weep bitterly. He's so emotional. And I think we would be too. I know we're here today, so we're not there. But in that moment, it would be just an emotional moment of, of, of all things being made right so that all things could be made new. It's such a powerful moment, and, and John is caught up in the moment, and he begins to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read it. I mean, really, who is worthy, right? Who is worthy to unleash judgment? I'm certainly not. I deserve judgment. You're certainly not, right? We all have things that need to be judged in our, at some point, and thankfully, Jesus on the cross did exactly that. He bore our judgment for us. But we're not worthy. He's worthy. So no one there could open it. I could not open it. You could not open it. Whoever was there, no one was found worthy. And John wept. Verse 5. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory, he is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Very interesting that he makes a statement here that, that references way back to not just you know, before that moment, but even before Christ's first coming, to that prophecy that he would come from the tribe of Judah. Judah was called a lion by his dad and his family blessing. The lion of the tribe of Judah, this heir to David's throne, David's root, his descendant. This person has won the victory and he's worthy to open the scroll to seals. He's worthy to unleash judgment. He's worthy to make things right and make things brand new. And so John is weeping. He hears the statement, look, here's the lion of Judah. So, so he's going to look up to see this lion, right? Verse 6 says this, then I saw a lamb. Well, wait a minute now. You said there was a lion. You said there was a lion of the tribe of Judah. I was going to look. I, I saw a lamb. Because see, that is how John knew Jesus, wasn't it? That's how John knew Jesus. He knew Jesus not as a conquering Messiah to overthrow the world. He saw him as the one who left his privilege in heaven, who left his power behind, who came to earth and lived among us who were broken and sinful and, 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 and served us and healed and helped and taught and died for us and became obedient to death, humbling himself. He saw the Lamb of God. That's how John knew Jesus. He knew him as the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. That was John's view of Jesus. 
But if you saw the previous verse, heaven's view of Jesus was they saw a lion. They saw a conqueror. Someone who was gonna step up and say, this is it. This is, but is it the lion or the lamb? Well, it depends on your perspective. In eternity, to all of heaven's view, he's the lion. But to those who saw him and watched what he did, not to come and crush, but to redeem, he was the lamb. It harkens back to the verse that John wrote earlier in the most famous verse of the Bible where it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I love what it says next. We all know that verse. But the next verse says, for God did not send his son to condemn the world. No, sir. He didn't send him to condemn the world. But that the world might be saved through him. He came as the lamb to be our savior, to be our redeemer, to pay our price, to be our sacrifice. But he's the lion who one day can conquer all who, who, who was worthy. In fact, look at the rest of the verse. Verse number six, then I saw a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders. Look at those words right there. He said, I saw a lamb that looked as it had been slaughtered or slain because he was, wasn't he? He saw Jesus crucified. A lamb as it had been slaughtered, but was now standing. I love that imagery. He said, I saw him knocked down, but apparently he was not knocked out. I saw him suffer and die, but guess what? He got back up. He was slaughtered, but now he's standing. In other words, he's celebrating the gospel that we celebrate today, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, but on the third day he rose again. That's what he's celebrating. There was a lamb who had been slaughtered, but now he's standing. That's what Easter's all about, folks. That's why we gather. That's why we meet. That's why we have the reason to be here. Because we have a risen Savior who conquered death, a lion who humbled himself and became the lamb, took on our sin, conquered our enemy, conquered our consequences, conquered death. That's the gospel. That's the good news. If you've never received the good news, if you've never taken a moment to embrace that today, I'm going to ask you in a little while here to consider doing so today. There's no greater thing we could do on, on a, a resurrection celebration than to make our, it a moment for us to, to accept the good news of Jesus Christ, to put our faith and trust. That's what he calls us to do. If we believe on him, we'll not, be perish, we'll not perish, we'll not be lost to God, but we'll have everlasting life. If you're here today and you've never believed the message that Jesus became our, our, our sacrifice, our sin uh, was paid for by him, and then he conquered death and rose again for us to be restored to God. I say it all the time. I say it so often. The cross demonstrates forgiveness. It demonstrates that God wants us back more than he wants us to pay. So he paid for us. And if you've never put your faith and trust in what Jesus did, he died and rose again so that we could be restored to God. I hope that today you'll do that. Today you'll choose to say, I believe. I accept his grace. I accept his salvation. I want that relationship now and forever that God made possible at Calvary through Jesus. Let's keep reading the story. Verse number seven says, he, that's referring to Jesus, the lamb, the lion, right? He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. So this is the father, and Jesus walks up and says, oh, I can open that. 
I was slaughtered, but I'm now standing. I did what was asked of me to do. I followed your will. I can open that. And he took the scroll from the hand of God. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. I'm going to pause and say this real quickly. If you don't know who those people are, they were in the previous chapter of Revelations. We did not read it. We cannot explain for sake of time. But it's, you should go back and read the book of Revelation. It's wonderful. But these, these people fall down before the lamb as he's taking the scroll. Each one has a harp. And they hold gold bowls filled with incense. What's the incense? Which are the prayers of God's people. Every prayer, every single prayer that we've ever prayed, every prayer we've ever prayed saying, oh God, help. Oh God, redeem. Oh God, rescue. Oh God, forgive. Oh God, make right. Oh God, please. They fill this moment and they make an incense to God. And at this moment, they're, they're just forming this moment of incense, these prayers as the heart is playing and the lamb takes the scroll. And in the next few chapters, we'll open it up and unleash its judgments and we'll make things right once and for all so that all things will be made new. Verse number nine says they, they sang a new song. Look at, look at the words of their song. They sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. You're worthy. No one else was worthy. No one was able, but you're worthy to take it, to open it. Why? For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's not just one group of people. It's all people, all languages, all tribes, all nations. You've redeemed those to God. Verse number 10, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. And they worship him in this moment. And we will too. We will praise and worship him that day. We will look forward to the cross. That People looked forward to the cross, to the Lamb of God. We look back on that moment. But we look forward to this day. And we will say he is worthy. We will worship him. And we will praise him because he is worthy, because he took our judgment and he conquered death. We can sing it today. We're getting a head start, folks. We sing the songs today and worship him today and follow him today, but it's just looking ahead to the day when all things are made right and all things are made brand new. We'll praise him because in the end, this is big, in the end, he is worthy to dish it out because he's already taken it for us. When it comes to unleashing judgment, when it comes to executing judgment, people say, if you don't dish it out, if you can't, take it. Well, guess what? Jesus took it. He took our judgment. He took our sin. He took our place. And when it comes time to saying who can, who's worthy to open the scroll, who's worthy to, who, who can make things right, rightfully, who can make things new, he can. He is able to dish it out because he's already taken it for you and for me. That's the good news. Verse 11 John writes this, he says, Then I looked again and I heard the voice of thousands and millions of angels around the throne of the living beings and elders, and they sang a new, in, a, in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And that'll be our song one day when the whole story finishes. And while we wait 
for him to make all things right. While we today wait for him to make all things right so he can make all things new. We worship him already. We worship him now for what he's done. Easter Sunday, the the death on the cross and the resurrection, we worship him for what he's done. And we worship him for what and trust him for what he still promised he's going to do that we're still waiting on. And maybe today you're still waiting on something. You're still waiting on God to be strong. You have a prayer that says, God, how long? Those incense, that's incense to the Father. And one day, he makes all things right. He makes all things new. And we worship him for what he's done. We trust him for what he's promised to do. And we worship him still. He is worthy of our praise, of our lives, of our trust, of our everything. He's worthy of all. He's the only one. Church is never about getting together to say, look how good we are. It shouldn't be. If you've, if you've ever seen a church where it's about, look how good we are, or a pastor saying, look how good I am, I'm apologizing for a very lousy picture of the gospel done in a church. That is horrible. It's never, it's never about how good we are. It's never about a, a, the show of a, how awesome a man is or a woman is. It never is. It's always about how worthy he is. We come to worship him. He's the centerpiece and the hero of our story. And anything else is just not worthy of our praise. I hope today you'll put your faith and trust in him. If you're here today, if you're here today, and there's not been a moment in your life when you've heard the gospel and said, I believe that. By faith, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he rose again so I could be restored to God. My death was conquered. My sins were judged by him, on him for me. And he did that so I could be restored to God because God wants me back more than he wants me to pay. So he paid for me. He loves me. He conquered death. I believe that. And I accept his sacrifice for me. I put my faith in him. If you've never done that, I'm going to invite you to do so this morning. And there couldn't be a greater way for you to spend your Sunday than to make your connection of faith with your God, with your Savior, who loves you so much. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, across this room, there's a lot of us, maybe we've been, maybe we've been in church a long time, but we've never, despite all of our years, we've never done anything with the gospel yet. Perhaps, Father, there's people in this room who uh, we've been in church a long time, but we've maybe trusted in our own goodness or made this... Uh, our story, look at me, how good I am. Perhaps we've never, maybe we've walked away from church because we saw that very thing and it was distasteful. And we knew that that's not right. And we've lost our way. Or perhaps we've never heard it before. But I pray that today, if anyone here is hearing your Spirit's call, that they would respond. And I pray that all of us today, whether we've believed already or not, we would all today be in awe of you. You are worthy. Thank you for this Easter celebration. Minister to us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask us to not, for just a moment here, just to have a moment of worship. If you don't mind helping me out with this, I'll keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to ask you a very simple thing today. Is God knocking on your heart's door this morning? Is he knocking on your door this morning and saying, You know it's true. You know it's true. You know that you're not perfect. We're broken. We all are. You know it's true. 
Jesus died for your sins and mine, you know it's true. He's knocking on your heart's door this morning saying, believe. Jesus died for your sins. He rose again. Believe. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if, no, if, if any, you're here today and you're saying, God, it's knocking at my heart's door. It's time for me to accept that good news, that gospel, to believe on Jesus and say, I enter relationship with him. I want to ask you, with all of us together in prayer, would you pray a simple prayer with me? I believe that believing is as simple as believing. There's not a magical prayer. There's not some magical words you say that, that get you in the gate. There's not a code of saying the right words, abracadabra. It's not that. It's believing. But oftentimes our belief is expressed through a prayer. Oftentimes our belief is, ex- is announced through a conversation. And if you're believing that today, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, I'm asking you to consider opening up and letting him in. If you would pray a prayer in your seat, I'm gonna pray a prayer. You can repeat the words I'm saying. I'll say them slowly. You can pray the words right back to the Father and mean them from your heart. Or you can hear it and just say your own prayer. There's even cards in the seat backs in front of you. The back one says the gospel even has a sample prayer. Just take the moment in your words or any words and take a moment and, and give your, your heart to the Lord today. Believe on him today. If, you, if, if this is your time, would you pray this prayer or something like this quietly right now in your heart, in your seat? Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm broken and this world is broken. But I know you sent your son to die for my sins and to rise again and conquer death. Lord Jesus, thank you for being my sacrifice, for for being the lamb of God that takes away our sins. Thank you for showing me that God wants me back more than he wants me to pay. And this morning right here, I acknowledge what you did and I place my faith in you. I ask you to come into my heart, my life, walk with me, and someday when this ride is over, take me to be with you forever because you made it possible on the cross for me to be with you forever. You've conquered death and showed us that life goes on because of what you've done. Father, right now I ask you, be my God. Lord Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus.